0: Welcome to the Idea Climbing Podcast. My name is Mark J. Carter, and I'll be your host. And today, we'll be talking about how podcasting can help you learn more about yourself and your business, how to reach out to the right guests at the right time, and how to use podcasting to connect with influencers in your industry. I'm here with Andy Kaufman, host of the People and Projects Podcast, speaker and consultant about leading teams and delivering projects and who's had clients as big as the United Nations and as small as local startups. Thank you so much for being here, Andy.
1: Well, it's glad to, Mark. Thanks for asking me.
0: And I'd love to jump right in on our, one of our last conversations in, related to podcasting. You mentioned it was a forced learning experience and when hmm. you got started back in '09, you had no idea then of what you've learned by now. Can you tell me a little bit more about that forced learning?
1: Yeah, yeah. So everyone's got their own journey of getting into podcasting. So in 2009, I was interviewed on someone's podcast. And afterwards, I was just asking the guy a couple of questions like, you know, what technology to use? You know, how does this work? And I'm, I'm a geek at heart. My career, I started as a software developer. And I'm like, I think I can do this. And so it was really almost like the accidental podcaster. Like, I'll have a couple episodes. My mom will listen to them. And, then, you know, then maybe that'll <laughs> yeah but after after doing it for a little while, I thought, well, this might be kind of an interesting way to just get marketing outreach you know it's It's not a sales call, but you know a lot of times people end up buying because they feel comfortable with who you are and how you do things so I, I, that's why i'll do it. it'll be kind of a marketing sort of thing but i can I can say now, uh getting close to ten years later that uh, I gotta tell you the the podcast has been absolutely the biggest benefit. Has been from the learning perspective, like it's given me it's given me a calling card that I, I can I can knock on the door of somebody who probably wouldn't have returned my message otherwise. And their books that I love, their thought leaders that I love, and, and like we can have a conversation. And by reading their book and by having the conversation, to this day I'm convinced, Mark, that the the best of our keynotes, the best of our workshops, come from things from the podcast. So you know, in life, generally speaking, it's good to have forcing functions. Whatever, whatever forces us to do, oh, we ought to be doing anyway. We all want to learn more. Most people want to read more, and, and this has been a forcing function for me to keep learning. And so and it's been great business-wise, too. It's led I get more unsolicited speaking engagements where I wasn't my outreach. I'm sure it's because of the podcast. but quite frankly. That the, the really biggest benefit has been that that forcing function when it comes to for learning for me.
0: When did you discover that? I mean, along the road from two thousand nine till now, did it something you stumbled across halfway through? And when did you get a method to your madness, as opposed to just I'm doing a podcast?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a really good question, and I I don't know exactly well uh, when, but I can tell you this: it was a book, um, called Lit, uh, Little Bets. Little Bets. And I, it was up until that point, I had not generally read the books of my guests. So I might skim it and go, yeah, that looks interesting, or whatever, or maybe read some reviews. But, but Little Bets, I actually read the entire book. I'm like, oh, there's so many good ideas. And so my enthusiasm in the uh, coming up with the questions and in the, I mean, it was a much better interview, quite frankly, because I was a lot more prepared. Now, I won't say 100%, but the vast majority of the interviews since then have read the entire book. And so as I go through it, I've got my Evernote open, and I'll be taking notes all throughout it. And all of a sudden, like, man, for my project management workshop or for this keynote on influencing skills, I can use that there. And all of a sudden, so I would say it's probably, since that book, it's probably was uh, you know, maybe around 2012, 2013, but it was, it was a slowly increasing time from there that is like, oh, how could I have worked this long and not known this? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> This constant feeling of, wow, that's what I need. And, and quite frankly, there are plenty of books where you're like, I think I've learned most of this before. It's just kind of a rehashed version of something. But most of the ones that we go through, it's like there's something in there that, man, I really needed to hear that.
0: What was it with that book that you didn't know this? What, what is the this you're referring to? Well, uh, yeah,
1: it's, it's a really good question. And I'm not exactly sure other than, uh, I, I, this is years ago I worked with this one guy. And I, I, was, I was whining, because I can whine pretty well. And I, I'm like, you know what, i got all these books that I just haven't read. And he goes, Andy, it's not your fault. I'm like, what do you mean? Gamar, I like this. Go, tell me why it's not my fault. He goes, it's the author's responsibility to make it so interesting that you, you can't help but go, Forward on it. And it's like, you know what? That's so true. Okay. I, I'm no longer guilty. That book was just, oh, well, first of all, it wasn't like 350 pages either, but it was like, yeah, yeah. So it just it just led to it. And and over time, I mean, I, I think generally speaking, it's fair to say we all vote with our attention. And so if something's not interesting to us, we eventually would just let go. And so I don't feel the pressure to read the books anymore if I feel like it's not, you know, worthy of the attention. But, uh, Generally speaking, if I'm like, oh, I can see how this can help my clients, or this can help me in my business, or this can just help me with my interactions with anybody, from my wife to my kids to the clients, sign me up. And so that, that learning process, I'm telling you, it's, uh, I, I, I guess, Mark, every once in a while, I'll run into somebody that goes, you know, I, I got 20 years of experience. But the more you talk with them, that's one year of experience repeated 20 times, you know, that idea. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to be that guy. And this is an avenue that has forced me to not be that guy.
0: Well, the forced learning, it sounds like it's really also highly dependent on the guests. How (laughs) do you pick guests? How do you get them on? Because without them, there's no learning. But it sounds like you've really got it down to a science that you can't just have anyone on your show for any reason. How do you first, how do you decide who to reach out to? And then how do you do the outreach?
1: yeah well it's it's a lot easier now than it was at the very beginning, because at the very beginning, it was all just trying to approach people now uh it's a rare week, and often multiple times a week, I'll just get a book sent to me unsolicited, or I'll get an outreach from a publisher that said hey you've you had Dan Pink on before. This is kind of like Dan's book, and it's like it, you know so it'll be an outreach there, so it's a lot easier now. But this is what I learned back before I was being approached to have guests is if you, go, if you go to Amazon, you can go and say, what are the new releases? And what I do is I, I would go there. Except that what I realized then after that was once the book has been released, they're not quite as motivated. So if you want a really big name, get it before the book is released. And actually, Amazon has that filter. So you can say, what are books going to be released in the next quarter? Or uh, I don't remember what the windows are, but it's, it's an upcoming. And I have found. That even some of the biggest names, not all, but mo- most of the biggest names, if you can get them before the book goes out, they love it because publishers are doing less and less when it comes to marketing for them, and so this gives the ability to, you know they, they're up for it they're up for it of like anything to get the message out that's the key
0: and what does that outreach to them look like? I mean, is it dependent on a number of downloads because I'm thinking about the people if they're just getting started or they're in the newer phase of a podcast, they don't have a number of X thousands of downloads every month or right. week. How do you? How did you reach out when you got started?
1: Yeah. So the uh, so generally so there'd be a couple filters. One is if I'm interacting with a client and I hear someone say that a book and they say that and then I go somewhere else and someone brings that book up or I see an article. If if I get like two or three hits and someone's like, oh, this is a really good book, I'm like let's make sure that that goes on the list. So I just keep a list of, of these. And then quite frankly when I first started I would go through this mental thing of like there's no way that person will ever get back to me. There's like no oh. way. Like episode five was this guy named Ken Thomas. That name probably doesn't mean anything to anybody listening to this but to me Ken was one of my heroes because he, he is the author of, he sold millions of copies of an assessment on conflict styles. Ken Thomas. So episode, I've had four episodes out. I'm like I, would, I teach conflict. I, 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 I'm going to reach out to Ken. And like in less than a day, Ken got back. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so as it turns out, people, this is a good lesson for anybody, especially if they're just starting, people are a lot more accessible than what you realize. And whether you connect with them on LinkedIn or you get to their website and you get contact information, people are often a lot more accessible than what we realize. And so it would be, uh, if, I, if I heard about the books, I'm like, yeah, I think that'd be good. Reach out to them if it was one of those things that, but just a, a personal hero of sorts or somebody that I just, frankly, I just want to talk to them and I think my audience would want to hear from them, you know, that might be it as well. And Usually, for my particular podcast, it's the intersection between project management and leadership. So it's the getting those you know getting stuff done and leading teams. So I'm I'm almost always looking for a book that's somewhere in that intersection, and so that that constrains it a little bit. So if someone goes, "Hey, I'm a career coach," oh, you know, I probably won't uh, bring them on. Not not because the world doesn't need to hear it, but that's probably going to be another podcast. If someone's like, "Hey, uh, got sales strategies," well. It's not going to be our, our podcast. So it's, you know, that have, for, if people have a decent sense of who is their audience, that's going to make it a little bit easier on how to deal with the guests. And I made a fundamental decision early on. And I'm not saying this is right, but generally speaking, I'm not going to be giving my content out for free. What I'm going to be doing is interviewing other people and, and really letting them be the show. And all I'm doing is having being the facilitator for them to get their message out. And then, strategically, it's kind of like the Guilty by Association. Since we hang out together, maybe that might attract it on here of like, well, man, you know, I, I like how Andy did that. But the, uh, it is a little different now in the last year where I, I'm doing some video podcasts where it's generally three minutes or less, often two minutes, and it's just one quick thing that I've learned in the last week or two, or I've taught in the last week or two, but it's very short. And it allows me to get a little bit more frequently out, and uh, more engagement, actually, quite frankly, on uh, social media. So people are like, oh yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I've, I've learned this too. Or I'll usually end it with a question, like, what have you learned about this? So instead of a forty-five minute to a fifty-minute audio interview with a guest, that might be the two or three minute um, with my stuff. But generally speaking, it's my goal is to help other people get their message out and and then maybe tie it in together with some comments and and it's worked out well.
0: Well with the messaging so much so many interviews can come off like a verbal version of PowerPoint or just a verbal version of a LinkedIn profile and they're not really deep in stories. You're mm-hmm. phenomenal at like, getting people to actually share stories mm-hmm. for the people listening. How do you go about that because that's a definite skill set in some podcasts can just come across question answer question answer, without getting into any good stories. How do you get people uh, to share stories?
1: Yeah. So this one, I, I'd love to say that I like strategically figured this one out, but um, I kind of accidentally got into it or to understand it. But I would say almost every third or fourth guest will will literally say after the after the we've stopped rolling, they'll go. Oh, it's so nice to talk to somebody that actually read the book. Okay? And so what's that, what they're saying is somebody's not just taking the canned questions. And so, interestingly, by actually reading the book, uh, the best books are kind of written in story. You know, there's kind of an intro, and then there's the this, and then there's the up and the down, and there's. So f- sometimes what I'll do is I'll. my questioning will follow kind of how they laid it out in the book, which sometimes has a natural progression to it as well. So sometimes that's the case. But probably the biggest secret, which is not a secret, but where I think is the best questions when people are at the end, they go, "Hmm, man, that was a good question is when it's asking them specifically how that applies to them, or how have they personally applied it. So instead of the, you know, this is a time management principle in general, it is how that in their life, what was it before they implemented it and how did they do it. And, and, or questions that, the, you know, usually there's one or two questions out of roughly about eight that I'll ask. That'll be along the lines of, let's say a listener is struggling with this. How would you recommend they deal with this? And so once again, it's not just like the standard, you know, what does page 57 say about this? It's mm-hmm. they're, they're taking it. And usually they light up because they want to be able to take this principle and apply it there. And the listeners usually like it because I'm trying to use a scenario that I know that they're struggling with. That sometimes they they submit them to me, or you know I'll say, hey, I'm interviewing uh, um, Jeff Sutherland, the founder of Scrum, or the co-founder of Scrum. So what questions would you want to ask Jeff? And so, you know, but it, getting them, getting that person to apply it to a scenario usually ends up coming up with a story of some sort, or at least has elements of story because there's characters and there's plot and there's uh, maybe a scene depending on what's going on, but almost always some sort of conflict as well. So but getting people to apply. And there's a question that I often ask near the end that goes something like this You know, uh, Mark, you speak on this stuff regularly. You've written books about this, you've made a difference in so many people's lives with story. What's the hardest thing of all you teach? What's the most difficult thing for you to follow yourself? So it's basically saying, you know, we, we talk about this stuff. We write about this stuff. But what's the most difficult for me to do personally? And that question almost always, the person will have this go. And by then, there's usually enough trust in the relationship that they'll get pretty transparent. Uh, you know, like, you know, the truth is, uh, I'm not perfect on this stuff, and I really struggle <laughs> with this. And there's just a reality. It's not necessarily a story, but I feel like there's, the mask is down. You know, I, we're talking to the real person at this point. And, and then, one last thing that comes to mind regarding that question is the conversation I have with people before the interview, the formal interview, and the conversation I have with people after the formal interview, I'm recording the entire thing. And I will almost always include some of that pre-roll and the discussion afterwards as outtakes afterwards. And I hear, I hear from listeners almost every day, almost every day. But often when I hear from people, I'll ask them, hey, do you ever listen to the outtakes afterwards? They go, it's my favorite part. Because it is not scripted. You, you, sometimes you can even hear people get into their radio voice, you know, like when the <laughs> interview starts rolling. But in that part, they're just like Andy and Mark talking. and so. I've never asked somebody for permission to include that or not. And if something comes up that I feel like either would be inappropriate or hurtful to them, I don't include it. But it's it's that opening patter and the closing patter that you, you really get a sense of the real person. So it's not necessarily story, but you get to know the character better. And so uh, I, don't know, I think that's kind of a fun, unique thing.
0: Oh, that, that really is. I mean, you have this down to such a – well, it seems like such a science. People are now sending you books. Publishers are reaching out to you. What did the middle ground look like, and how did you keep going in enough to get traction so it wasn't family and friends listening to the first five? Uh, when did you get traction? And more importantly, because so many people, when they hear it, might take a year, it's like their energy just deflates. Uh,
1: you know, it's interesting. There's a, a book coming out in two weeks called The Messy Middle, and I just interviewed the guy. The guy's the uh, head of Adobe products, Scott Belsky. And his point is, and it applies totally to people who are getting into podcasting, to start is exciting, man. I, I, I've learned how to use the tools. Uh, and I got an idea of who I'm going to interview and stuff like that. He goes, we love starts. And although with podcasting, the goal maybe, depending on the model, is not to end. You want it to keep going. But with projects, with initiatives, we like endings. We celebrate endings. We celebrate beginnings, but the, the whole premise of the title, The Messy Middle, is in between. And there's a line that he uses in the book, Mark. He says, um, on big ventures or long ventures, the middle is like a cross-country drive in a car with no windows. <laughs> oh, isn't that, isn't that beautiful? I, mean, I, think it, I think it's a beautiful picture. And his point is, if it's a company or a project, he goes, your job is to be the window. Your job is to help the team, be the window to help them understand where are we, where are we going, and and why is it turbulent here, you know, something like that. So, in the messy middle for me, it was the first five to ten interviews were pretty easy to get, it feels like. It was the momentum. But, like you said, it gets after that, it's like, oh. You know, is it just is it just my close friends listening to this? It's, you're in that messy middle, and uh, I've heard people say this at their companies: start a newsletter. First couple newsletters, pretty easy. But now, what are you gonna do? Now, who are you gonna interview? So, part of uh, it's sometimes called defensive pessimism. This is not a, a character uh, trait of mine. It's, a, it's I think it's actually a bad thing. I think. I think I get easily defensive pessimistic, like set expectations low, and then you're never disappointed and I so what I did, and maybe this helped maybe not, but it's like I am not going to start a weekly podcast because my schedule will not allow it, and if I do that, I might come up with like five ten twenty, but there's no way I'll be able to get to where I am now, and uh two twenty six went out this week so set realistic expectations, and my realistic expectations were, I'm going to do three every two months. And so oh. whether that was defensive pessimism or just reality, it was, I'm not going to beat myself up if I didn't get something out. because I think, I think there is something to set constraints and go, hey, we're going to do weekly, or we're going to do daily. Some people do that. We're going to do monthly. There is something to that, because you can develop a regular cadence. But if the cadence is too quickly, I think people start putting out garbage. They just put out stuff that, well, I had to get this newsletter out, or I had, and it's not going to be as valuable. So uh, the podcasts that I, I personally follow that have a, a lot of them, if the more they have, the less I listen to them because I just can't keep up personally. So I figure if mm-hmm. I need three, three, two months, that's going to be enough. It'll fit with my schedule, and it's just often enough. That I'm not setting expectations. that are gonna let people down. Of like, well, man, the guy's never coming out with them, and so. Uh, and when it comes to, uh, when it comes to staying engaged with it, as long as the books are 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 intriguing enough, like there's only been a couple of people that I've interviewed that I'm like, like one person I just cut off during. I'm like, w- you're not answering the questions, and the w- ones you are, it's just not that interesting. So that's happened only once. And there have been some that I've done it, but it just, and when I got done recording, it was, I just don't think it's that good. Like, I just don't think that whether it was my question or their answering, that it's really going to add that much value. So
0: how do you... Setting the bar low? Yeah. How do you... That's really interesting. How do you qualify that with the good enough? If you are... Now, let's say that, with good enough. What is uh, good enough? What's great?
1: Yeah. So the... Uh, trying to think of how I've heard people say it. So I've heard a couple of guests say this that I I wanted to write a book that I would want to read. <laughs> you know? So there's this guy who uh, it came out earlier this year it's called This is Now Your Company, former head of training at Facebook and I actually I didn't think it was that remarkable a book. I thought it was just sloppy. He's he's like uh, your company culture sucks because you suck, and you're part of the company culture, and so I mean, <laughs> it just it, the leadership's job is not to make it not suck; it's to suck less. And so it just it just felt like we could probably get a little more creative in how to write it. But um, he he actually talked about this in the book, and actually in the interview, he said, "I wanted to write the book that I wanted to read," and so for him. That's the kind of book he wants to read. Or don't give me the academic, where you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, these professorial sort of words and phrases. Just talk straight to me. He's got some New York background. Just talk. You know, just just be real. And that's what is that's what his book is. So in my case, good enough is if I listen to this podcast, what I want to what I want to listen, what I find it interesting, and so that kind of informs the books that you know, that, that I would pick, and the authors, as well as, at the end of the day, if, if it's a book I really like, but I didn't publish the episode, it's almost always because the author just came off. And once again, it could easily be me and how I led them through it. But it just came off as, it just wasn't that interesting. It just, it just uh, you know, I, I found sometimes the more famous people are struggle more in the interview. Or, or they want they want the questions really vetted out because they don't want to look stupid or they don't want to get blindsided, and so that, that's sometimes even a, a bigger a bigger challenge. Sometimes of like, how can I get the real uh, Robert Cialdini, the influence guy, out so it doesn't come off as uh, scripted answers? You know, and it makes it for a fun challenge as the as the as the host. But at the end of it, there's only been there's been less than a handful that I'm like. I just can't go live with that.
0: And they just cutting room floor, and that's it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I, I keep the interview, and maybe someday I'll go back and listen to it. I'm like, what was I saying? You know, I think that's actually pretty good. But you know, there's there's been there's been some almost always, quite frankly, it's they're just too academic. It's just you know, as I get older, Mark, I've got uh, much less tolerance for simple answers to complex problems, and. <laughs> Some business books are just—they're too formulaic, or um, it's the models are somewhat interesting, but in the real world, be difficult to apply. But yeah, you know, the, the vast majority of interviews I, I find there is something there. It's usually in the first seventy-five pages, <laughs> and the rest is to get out to two hundred twenty-five or something like that. But it's
0: there's usually something good enough in there to, to get something good enough to make the interview worth it.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah on the more on the more positive side of things with this if they're if for business owners and marketers if you know they're listening, this makes sense, I love what Andy said, but mm-hmm. they're still on the fence about, ah, should I really get into podcasting? What would you tell them?
1: you know it, it really depends on what their goals are for it, so uh although the learning forcing function is definitely one of those things that really keeps me going on it i I you know I've I've got the name of a dead comedian Andy Kaufman right I mean I'm one of a gazillion people that are out there and there are plenty of people that talk on project management ple- even more that talk about leadership and so the idea is how do I differentiate myself from the rest of the world and we can try to get lots of followers on social media we can try there's lots of different ways to try to do it but this is this is what I found is that podcasting is not exactly on the leading edge, like nobody's doing it. Like a lot, it's, it, it, people. You don't have to tell someone how to listen to a podcast anymore. So on their commutes, while they're exercising, they're already doing this. And so if a business owner can put together kind of a, a compelling thing that somebody wants to listen to, it's like a free trip into their brain. And, and, and you, get, you get to, whether it's share your perspective, share other people's perspectives, help solve their problems. After a while, people can listen and go, This Carter guy's really smart. I need to hire him. Or this business owner. That makes a lot of sense. I need to bring them in to at least help us think this through. So, you know, I can't even imagine doing print ads these days. I can't even imagine doing radio ads these days. I listen to radio so little because I'm listening to podcasts during the commute or during exercise, during usually I don't while I'm on my bike. But my, my point is this is a way that people, it, it doesn't even have to be an ad per se, but it's an ad. It's marketing. It's a way that people can become aware of what this business owner thinks or does, provide some solutions, but you know, just enough that people are like, wow, we got to bring that person in. So it is, it is a great and well-established and accepted way to get their message out.
0: I think that's a perfect way to close out. Thank you so much for your time, Andy. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Carter. Thanks. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to go to ideaclimbing.com to learn more about idea climbing and hear other conversations about mentoring, marketing, and more.